What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast presented by House Enterprise. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, just your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye here connecting with people who have incredible stories to tell. And today we have a great one. I'm excited to invite on for the first time a dear friend of mine, Colin Miller. He is a goalie for the Rio Grande Valley Football Club, the Toros, down in South Texas. He was a Providence College all-star. I mean, just a star in the goal um, and great career there. And I was fortunate enough to be a dear friend of his through our time at Providence College. And just to get to meet this guy, he's he's a gem of a person. I'm excited to share his story today. Without further ado, here's a very special interview with a dear friend of mine, Colin Miller. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. Well, everyone, on today's episode, we have a very special guest. Colin Miller is a goalkeeper goalkeeper, excuse me, for the Rio Grande Valley Toros, a former Providence College Friar and one of the nicest guys I've had the chance to know. Colin, welcome to the show, man. How are you? It's so good to see you. Thanks, Jared. All been well with me. Yeah, I'm really excited for the episode today. And, and I'm excited to see you too. I know it's been a long time since we've seen each other in person and, and a long time since we've been together in Friartown. But I'm really I excited know. for this episode today. I know. I I wish I was back in Friartown during the times like this right now, after that Sweet 16 run and all the craziness and this like they got this year's. It's like making me reminisce of the the good old days back in Providence in the in like the you know 2018 2019 age. Yeah, it's hard to believe we've been out a number of years now. You know, Don't remind me, dude. Getting phased out. You know, <laughs> the less the less people we know now, the kind of less connection we have. But it's cool to see. I think in terms of the athletics department doing extremely well and. Mm-hmm. Even the, the student body continues to grow, and it seems like it's just a really, really fun time to be a friar. Absolutely. So I got to imagine that the Rio Grande Valley is a little bit different from where you grew up in Bel Air, Maryland. How, how are you liking the new digs? What would you say is like the biggest difference from where you grew up to where you live right now? Yeah, I really like the area down here. I've spent the greater half of two years in my second season down here at the Toros, and, and the area itself is, is really cool. I think it's kind of a hidden gem here in the U.S. And, and I don't think a ton of people really know much about the area. I didn't know a ton about the area until I got down here. And it is a lot different from my hometown of, of Bel Air, Maryland. I think growing up in Bel Air, like I was there pretty much my entire childhood and then went off to Providence College and then bounced around a couple different places before landing down here in, in what's called the Valley. But it's a very, very cool place to be. Uh, it's a relatively an area that's like growing it's kind of small but it's like it's really really growing and, and the area is really cool and so I I've kind of called this place home and and I encourage people to try and come down if they can um because it really is, is a cool area yeah I mean I I've I haven't been to Texas period I'm going to be in a wedding in in Austin in October but I got to imagine down there like towards the Gulf of Mexico in the south of Texas it's like it's like a, I mean Texas is so big I feel like it's like three different states all at one but the down there has got to be a totally different vibe than even just like Austin or Dallas or anything like that. It really is and I think I, I've been fortunate to kind of see a bunch of different areas of Texas. I've been to Austin, I've been to El Paso, we play mm-hmm. against a team in San Antonio uh, and then even going to Austin a couple times uh, we've we've been there just for games and I've also had the chance to spend a long weekend there with my cousin who lives in Dallas and, and my girlfriend was able to come down so I've kind of had the full for me I feel like I've had the full Texas experience and we <laughs> yeah. went to preseason I went to Houston for preseason this past year so I've got to see a bunch of different cities and it is really cool I think Edinburgh kind of McAllen where I'm at in the valley down here is a lot different I think from all of those areas um, but Texas is so big like you say and, and there's so much down here that I would encourage people to yeah, try and come down and see the state and especially here in McCown, but also I really love Austin, Texas. If I could kind of plug one city, yeah, that would be that would be one for people to come visit and see. Yeah, I'm excited. But I gotta ask, so are you are you still a Maryland crab cake guy? Or are you more like the Tex Mex style of food nowadays? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good question. <laughs> I really I think I'm still true to my roots with the Maryland crab cakes. I think yeah. the hard shell crabs are always fun to pick during the summer and it's tough to you can't really get hard shell crabs down here in McAllen it's more kind of crawfish and some other seafood based stuff but but yeah I do kind of like the Tex-Mex as well if I can get I can try a little something different because the and the Mexican food down here is different than any other food any other Mexican food I've had around Mm -hmm. the 
the country. So it definitely has it, its own kind of little extra taste down here than, than it does the, the crab cake back home. Absolutely. I got to say, I mean, like that's a, that was always been the number one thing that I've missed from my hometown is the Mexican food in Southern California is just so much better than anywhere here in New England. Like I trust me, I love the food here in New England and, and no, no disrespect to any of the Mexican restaurants out here, but there's just something about like Southern California, Mexican food. If you grew up on it, you know, like it just has that different flavor, that different authenticity, I think to it. And I, that's the one thing I miss from the food perspective. <laughs> yeah, you're, I think your hometown always has kind of those like special kind of like niche areas that you can't get anywhere else. Like whether it's maybe like a, a beach or whether it's just like a little spot and kind of go and relax, whatever it is, or cuisine. Right. I think it's always awesome to kind of have those little spots you can always return back to when you when you do head back home. Totally. So let's start talking about uh, back in the days of Bel Air, Maryland. What was life like growing up in the Miller household when you, you know, started to find your love for soccer and all of that kind of growing up? Yeah, I always have had a ton of support from my family and friends, especially my mom, my dad, my brother, my grandparents have always been there for me through the entirety of kind of this is for, for now is, is my kind of career. But at, mm -hmm. at the time when I was growing up in Bel Air, it wasn't wasn't that I played a number of different sports, was involved in a bunch of different activities. My brother and I both just tried to stay busy. And our parents, I think, did a great job of supporting us with whatever that we really wanted to get ourselves into, whether it was school related or music or art. It turned out to be sports for us for a lot of it, but we just kind of just had to stay busy with something. And and growing up there, I, I always had a really good friend group, but I always valued the different friend groups, the different sports and stuff. Yeah. So I always tried to stay engaged with my baseball friends, soccer friends, or my basketball buddies. And a lot of those people I still call my great friends today. So just kind of built that foundation back home in Maryland and, and always had the support from my family and friends to, to kind of continue like now even living out this dream. Absolutely. And then being an athlete yourself, I imagine growing up with a brother who was also involved in sports growing up, was it always was it more competitive between you two or was it like, I know you played a lot of team sports. I mean, coming from my swimming background, it was like always competitive. Right. But was it ever competitive between you and your brother? It was. Yeah. I think him and I, we always would try and I think just kind of compete with anything that we did, like whether we're playing ping pong in the basement right. or, or, you know, we're trying to like out eat each other, maybe at the dinner table and who can eat more food or whatever. Yeah. There's like little friendly competitions. And I think when I went off to college, that was when I think we really, I think, bonded kind of over just like the distance. We were both growing up a bit. We kind of had right. like our disagreements from time to time too, just like any brothers do. But I think he oftentimes would hang out with some of my friends and I always tried to stay in touch with his friends. Even more so now, I think we're all pretty similar. He, he just turned 22 and I'm 25. And so we're not too far apart in terms right. of our age. And a lot of our interests have always kind of been the same. So I've kind of used him as a soundboard over the years to bounce different ideas of off of and, and he's also used me as well so now we're super close just like we always have been and and it's it's been fun to kind of have like a teammate through everything yeah I definitely think the whole like growing closer to your brother because I felt the same way with my twin brother when we both went off to college like we were so competitive in those latter days of high school that we probably like butt heads more than we were like friends in, in like a friendly competition way but definitely like you know just twin brothers I mean they're always going to butt heads but when we went off to college I felt like I became closer to him, even just with the distance, because like now we're not swimming against each other every single day. And it was cooler then to like hear stories of his college experience versus mine. And then, you know, the swimming stories and all that. Like, I definitely think, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder as the saying goes, but especially even with things like family, you know, like it's, it is definitely that kind of weird story of, you know, you get closer with someone when you don't see him as often, I think. I would agree with you. Yeah. Cause yeah. I think, I even that saying the distance makes the heart grow fonder. I think that's that's kind of been true. I think even whether it's just with my brother, or even with my family too, because right. I spent a lot of time away from them over the years, kind of pursuing the soccer career. And even you know my girlfriend as well. We're doing distance, and so there's been a ton of sacrifice kind of throughout the whole process. But I think all the distance kind of really makes you appreciate the time you get to share together. Hundred percent. So when did you like? In growing up, when did it start to become more of a realization that soccer was something that you could continue to pursue into college and beyond and now in your professional career? Yeah, it was right around my junior year of high school. I had made the decision to try and pursue soccer in college over baseball because at the time I was playing both uh, in high school and even outside of high school. I would kind of split 
the years, about six months invested in soccer or six months going into baseball. And, right. and I really enjoyed the transition because I didn't know at the time if I wanted to even play sports in college or if I wanted to just kind of live out my kind of high school days and then go to maybe a huge college school university and just kind of have a totally different college experience. But right. right around my junior year, I made a decision to try and play soccer in college and I gave up playing my summer baseball, but I still continued playing baseball for my high school team. And then I was able to get a couple scholarship offers this summer going into my senior year. And then I ultimately chose Providence College over a couple of different schools for like a number of reasons, like academically, athletically, and, and even the distance from home I thought was adequate. It wasn't close enough to where I could run back on a weekend, but it was far enough to where I could kind of become my own person and branch out and just start a whole new network. But it was right around my junior year of high school that all that kind of came to it came to and I think even for me I always still think about that time because it was about a three-week window where I made that decision because I wasn't necessarily better or worse at one sport or right. you know, just kind of that that timing and just there were a couple of different factors that played in and, and it just kind of came to my decision yeah I, I always we've had a bunch of athletes on the show that have had to make that decision of choosing one sport over the other because you know you hear you hear a lot of the stories of like the dual sport athletes that that try to play both in college or like that ultimately do play both or like, you know, like the wide receiver is a track star at USC or whatever. But like the amount of times that you hear about that is basically like all the stories that are out there about that. It is so uncommon and so unorthodox for an athlete to play two sports and in the, in the NCAA season for sure. But it's like, it's so crazy. I mean, on top of making a college decision to go to Providence or whatever, you know, making another like, pretty much grown up decision to say, you know what, I, I have to stop playing baseball or I have to stop playing soccer to pursue what I think will get to me. And like, obviously it's all panned out, but you know, it's hard to make that decision at 17, 16 years old. You know what I mean? It really is. And I think it's kind of unfair because you don't yeah. really know it. And you can't really play out all the scenarios. I mean, you try and trust the people around you and you try and trust your gut, but you're right at 16, 17 years old. You don't really know, you know, what your future entails. And I think, we were fortunate enough to where we were able to make one good decision and kind of go into college and where we wanted to go to college and that ended up working out for us. But it's yeah. not the same for everybody. Sometimes you think back, you have some regret, but it's, it's really kind of been a crazy journey. And I think I credit to my support group around me to kind of lift me up when I was down or to help me kind of through any tough times. Yeah. The, the, you can't, you can't live your life with the whole like, what if situation, especially when it comes to like being an athlete or a student athlete or whatever, just like you could go, you could drive yourself nuts thinking about that for sure. But I got to ask, you know, we've had a lot of friars on this show. It's a very popular Providence podcast and rightfully so you, you touched on a couple points of why you chose Providence, but is there one like exclamation point or kind of statement piece of why you chose Providence that really has always stuck out to you and, and makes you kind of like solidify that you made the right choice? It's a good question. I, I've thought about that. If there was a one thing, because even looking back on the decision now, back yeah, years ago, I think when I went up to visit Providence, I'd also visited LAU, Brooklyn, and Siena. Mm -hmm. All three of those schools, it just kind of worked out. Me, my mom, my grandmother went up uh, to visit the, the campuses and and when I went to Providence, it was the second school that I was visiting out of the, the three. And when I got on campus, I, I I think back because the campus looks a lot different now than, <laughs> you know, back in, it was like, that was the, uh, I guess the summer, the summer of 2012, I think it was. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, uh, it was such like a long time ago. <laughs> and so when I was up there visiting, I, I really love just how relatable the coaching staff was. And for me, I've always tried to be like a people person and trying to, I think, network. And, and I didn't know that I wanted to maybe even try and play soccer after college. I just wanted to go to college and find a place that I was gonna love, whether I was playing soccer or not. Yeah. And I got that experience, not just from the coaching staff, but also some of the faculty and staff and some of the teammates that I was able to, to meet. And I thought that if I chose the school and for whatever reason, soccer, didn't work out, you know, after four years, even after just a couple of years that I would still love Providence and I could call this place home for me. So I think it was really the relationships that I was able to build, not just on that first initial visit, uh, but also I think that held true during my time there at the college. I think I was able to meet a ton of people. I think the smaller school helped as well. And that was something that factored in for me. I didn't want a huge school where I thought I'd just kind of be a number and get overwhelmed. I wanted a smaller 
campus size and, and a smaller class size. And I think the student body all kind of fit for me in, in making that decision. Absolutely. I always told the story of like, I always wanted to go to the bigger school and like, not necessarily to, I, I didn't know I wanted to swim in college till about my junior year too, but I know leading up to before I made that decision to try and swim in college, I always wanted to go to like an Ohio state or like a U of A, like big, big athletics, huge football program, you know, that type of thing. And then I like heard the stories of what that, that experience is like going to those schools. And it's not necessarily a bad one. Like it, it's obviously worked out for a bunch of people, but I just remember hearing those stories. And I'm like, this is not what I actually want. I, I'd rather be at like a, a smaller name school or a smaller size school with a, with a bigger athletic name, which obviously I think Providence kind of fits that, fits that mold, but you make such an, you make such an important point to any kids that are listening to this episode and, and thinking about recruiting and all that type of stuff, you know, we were fortunate to have great careers and, and four, you know, four or five great years at Providence. I think, you know, there are a lot of athletes that don't get that due to, due to, you know, playing time due to injury. Like if you got to find a school that you're going to love, no matter what, you know, if, if you decide one week after being a, a D1 athlete, D2 athlete, that this isn't for me anymore, that you want to love the school. So that's like a really important decision to make. But I think, you know, looking at the school rather than just like the athletic facilities is something that's super important. <laughs> I would totally agree because I think there's so many factors to consider when choosing a college. And I think right. even as an athlete, especially, you want to consider what is kind of is, is your road ahead. It's like how, how quick can I break into, you know, playing and what kind of impact am I going to have on the sports field? But also, I need to consider the academics and stuff. Does the school have the major that I'm looking for, right. as well as the athletics department? I think, do I want to try and just walk into a starting role right away, or do I want to come in and compete? You know, and just I might not start for a couple of years, which was kind of my case. I really didn't start till my junior year, so right. it was almost three years worth of time where I was just training, working, you know, in with Coach White, you know, doing all this extra work to try and get to where I wanted to be from like a soccer standpoint, because the school and, and the academics were great that whole time, but in the social aspect, I loved as well, but I was just missing that soccer piece right. for, me for a couple of years. Right. So, and during your time at Providence, I got, I got some stats for you that I, I mean, it just blows me away, your career at Providence. So you recorded 22 shutouts, a 78% save rating and a less than one goals allowed average per game. All of that in those, you know, two, what was it, three years now, uh, or three years in goal, 4,800 minutes played, and one of the most successful goalies at Providence College. Do you have a favorite memory from your time on the, for the Friars on the field? I was actually thinking about that before we got on today. I think it maybe You had to think I was going to ask this, right? You're like, he's going to ask this. <laughs> I think I thought it would be a fair question, right? Because I right. think for, for me, I did five seasons at Providence, redshirt in my freshman year, right. and then ended up yeah, coming back for my, my retro year at the end of my career. So five seasons worth. So it's a lot of, a lot of time, a lot of memories. And, and I think two memories really stuck out to me. I think uh, the one was when we went to Italy for, it was about 10 days. Uh, for the I was season. so, I was so jealous of all that. Your, your guys' Instagrams during that trip. <laughs> it was unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable trip. And, and the fact that like everything was really kind of planned out, like the itinerary for us, like our coaching staff and our alumni. And, and we even did, did some fundraising for, like we really tried to do it right. And that experience for me is, it's actually been my first and only time out of the country. Mm -hmm. and I absolutely loved it just to be able to do it with my teammates and be able to kind of leave the country and have that experience was, was really spectacular. And we played some games over there, got to see a whole new culture, and, and we, we did it obviously together. So that was awesome. I think that that memory, I think, has really stood out to me. And then the other one I know you and I were actually talking about when we were heading back home after the fall semester of that year. It was, it was the fall of, of 2016 when we played against the University of Maryland in the NCAA tournament. And you and I were on the same plane back together after the fall semester had wrapped up. And we were talking about it because for us, we went into that game. We'd beaten Delaware in the first round of the NCAA tournament that year. And we'd go in to play the University of Maryland, who were undefeated, the number one ranked team in the country, playing at home. They were like Big Ten champs. And then they, they were slated to win the whole whole NCAA championship that year. And so we were going down there with kind of low expectations, but we were kind of this like David and Goliath matchup. 
ended up winning the game uh, in, in over or not even in a, it was a regulation. They didn't have to go in overtime right. after going down four to one, came back, won the game five, four. And then for me, I think still the greatest game I've ever been a part of. And, and those two memories, I think will ever kind of be engraved in, in my mind. It's still the best highlight reel of any soccer game you will ever see in your entire life. If you just YouTube Providence versus Maryland NCAA tournament, it'll pop up right away. The goals that the team scored. I mean, you must have just been sitting back in the goalie box being like, what is happening? You know, because I mean, like as, from a goalie's perspective, I mean, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but letting in four goals in a, in a game, you're like, oh man, like it can't get much worse. But now here we go. Like things are just going, I mean, you have the Olympico to win the game. You have Nick Saylor's shot from like the, out of nowhere. I mean, that guy, you know, it's just un, like the shots and the goals were unbelievable. The only bone I have to pick about that game is the announcers could not have been less excited during the game. Like, the the guy who <laughs> – I don't think he was the play-by-play guy. I don't know his name, but he just was kind of like, oh, an Olympico to win the game. Like, it was just kind of like, that's it? <laughs> yeah, we weren't getting any, any help, any energy. No. <laughs> it, was, it was really just us, you know, right. on the field. And that was, I, had, I had my family in the stands being from Maryland. So it was awesome right. to have that homecoming. I had a bunch yeah. of buddies in the stands too, but – if we weren't getting any help from the announcers, which I'm sure they had a Maryland background being yeah. on campus there at, at Maryland. But yeah, it was a crazy, crazy game, crazy memory to to have. And then we were at, we were able to continue our run and we went and we ended up making it all the way to the Elite Eight that year, yeah. which was cool. And and so we didn't just kind of get stuck on that big triumph. You know, we were able to kind of go. I think we went to Creighton the next round or something. We ended up hosting, um, I think it was I forget who we ended up. I don't even think we had to post. We were on the road the whole time. I think uh, you hosted right. Delaware. I remember that. That game was so fun to be at JP Field for that. That was that was a blast. But yeah, I remember. Yeah, the Creighton game was crazy too. Yeah, I think we went out there because I don't think the fourth time we had played them that year yeah. too. We played them, and we played them in the regular season. We lost to them in the in the Big East tournament, and then we beat them in the NCAA tournament. And so it was. Yeah, it really was a crazy ride that year. And I think those two memories for me, soccer specific, have kind of stuck out and will always, I'll always be uh, be grateful to kind of hold on to those. Absolutely. And then off the field, right? As a, as a, you were seen as a leader in the Providence College community, serving as the president of the Student Athlete Advisory Council and numerous uh, community outreach initiatives. How important is it to you to make sure that you're putting in just as much effort on the pitch as you are in your community? For me, it's it's everything. I think that as much as I, you know, wanted to make an impact on the field, I just as much wanted to make an impact in the community and and even on campus at, at Providence because I I felt like so much had been given to us as student athletes that mm -hmm. it was only fair that we attempted to try and give back and and to show our appreciation for everything that that had kind of really for us like been provided. And so for me, I was able to involved with the student athlete advisory councils my freshman year nick sailor was involved with men's soccer and then i became a, a representative the spring of my freshman year and then stayed on my sophomore and junior year and then became the president my senior year and and it just allowed me to be engaged in everything that was going on and, and kind of help facilitate that student athlete experience and it i was fortunate to, to meet a bunch of student athletes and, and even just see them in kind of a different form yeah. as well because you see everybody on campus you see them on the field but I think seeing people off the field I think it is even a greater representation of who they are as a person and that's how I've always wanted to be remembered I, I don't really want to be remembered for you know if I was a good or bad soccer player you know, I always want to be remembered for the person that I am because I feel like that'll be uh, more of a long-lasting legacy and being able to help with the Student Advisory Council and, and through other roles on campus, I, I really felt like I was able to do that and leave that legacy. That That's the biggest takeaway I have from my career at Providence is just, you know, I don't necessarily, I mean, my name is not up on the record board and I'm not, I'm not heard about that. I, I just, I'd rather be like, if Coach White can still remember my name 10 years down the line, that's a win for me. If if Bob Driscoll is nice enough to come on this show like two years after I graduated, that's enough for me. Like just the the like Providence had such great athletes, but such better people that are there too. That just I mean, it's what makes this place so special. And I know like 
the listeners of this show are gonna be like, oh God, here they go, another love fest for Providence. But I but I just it just it just it rings true and and I I applaud you for all the work that you did. It's someone I definitely looked up to as a student athlete at Providence and during my time on SAC. And it's just it's just so fun to be here again with you and talking about this because it's something that we both have found so important during our careers at Providence. Yeah, I think I think it's important to always reflect on on where you've kind of come up to this point. I think whether yeah, for all the listeners, whether it's, you know, your undergraduate experience or even your childhood experience, I think everything that we've done up to this point has just shaped us into who we are today. I think we're products of our environment and everything around us is, is kind of either built us up or broke us down or, or helped us get to where we are today. So I think everybody can kind of relate to even, I know we're kind of using our college experience as an example, but I think everything that we've we've all done as people has just kind of been and to to really get us to where we are so i think it's really cool i think to look back and just show appreciation and and just try and help out anybody who's coming up or people who are kind of going through whatever to to kind of see uh and just see where we've come from and just to help we're going to take a quick break from this week's episode to talk about our brand new sponsors and a long time coming with tyr guys I've been a part of the swimming community for gosh knows how long. I've been retired for just about three years, but I'm going back in with my friends over at TYR. That's right. TYR has everything you need from swimming to try to anything from biking, running, you name it. Tier or TYR has got you hooked up. They got a brand new spring collection coming out, and I'm going to hook you guys up. That's right. I'm going to get you 10% off at checkout with the code Jared, J-E-R-O-D-I-G-10 off that's right jared j-e-r-o-d-i-g as in instagram 10 off gonna get you 10 percent off at checkout with their brand new spring collection so if you're a swimmer i know i have swimmers listening to the show biker uh triathlete whatever it may be head over to tyr check out their brand new spring collection and now back to the interview absolutely so after your time with the friars you actually got to make your return to the dmv area uh where you side with is it Loudon United? Is that how you pronounce it? It is, yeah, Loudon okay. United. All right, that was the one I was, I was I was prepping for this, and I was like, all right, I'm I'm either going to butcher this or I'm going to get it right on the first try. But I'm glad I did. <laughs> so yeah, so Loudon United for their inaugural season back in 2019. What was it like to finally start playing professionally, but also too for literally like a brand new club? Yeah, I think with a brand new club, I think we were trying to just build an identity for ourselves, and we we had. A bit of a father figure, which we was we were affiliated with DC United, who were our right. MLS affiliate clubs. We were kind of like their reserve team, but Loudoun United was in their first season, and so everything from the facilities to the head coach to the equipment manager to the team itself was all brand new, and so we mm-hmm. didn't really have much of a roadmap. And the USL Championship at the time was adding teams in. Uh, some teams were kind of going through, like trying to figure out if they were going to have a club or not, and so. For our league itself, I think it was a very, very, I think, transformative time. And even just to be a part of a new club in my first season as a professional just allowed for a lot of opportunity and, and also like a ton of growth. And I think being a part of Loudon too gave me an opportunity to return a little bit closer to home. Right. Virginia is only about maybe two hours, hour, 45 minutes from where I grew up in, in Maryland. And so it was a lot closer than I was at Providence. And and our schedule was, was really up and down the East Coast. The league's broken into the Western and Eastern Conference, so I got to see, you know, a ton of the East Coast, some areas I haven't been to before, and then just to be able to to kind of have that first year and just to kind of learn and grow um, from, you know, guys who have been playing for a long time or some other guys like me who are just getting started with their careers was was really fun. Yeah, and then, you know, two, two years, year and a half later, you leave Virginia, and now you're in Southeastern Texas. I mean, like, so... It, is there a, was there a time where like during all this transition and fast pace of like not really knowing where you're going to be over the next two three years like have you been able to kind of like adjust to this new way of life rather than like a nice comfortable Providence College schedule where you know you're going to be playing to the same Big East teams and you know you're going to you know you know you're going to be in Rhode Island for four years like how has that adjustment been for you? I think it's been one of the most difficult things to try and adjust to. I think. And even just to shed some light on my kind of past four years, every single year that I've been a pro, I've been under a one-year contract with the club. Man. And so each year I haven't been sure whether or not I'm going to return or if I'm going to maybe be going elsewhere. And I think after spending two years in Virginia, even after that second year, 
I wasn't sure if maybe I would return for a third year or if I would be going somewhere else. And the crazy turbulent kind of reality of this career was that my next year just happened to be in South Texas, which is is super far away from, you know, Maryland itself or even Virginia, you know, right. I could, and I've, I've even always kind of casted a big net in a lot of the off season where I have just been open to trying to find a club that's going to give me the best opportunity to try and grow as a player, but also get opportunities as a goalkeeper, because it is tough with only one of us being on the field at a time and right. transitioning from a reserve team like Loudoun United, where you had a lot of first team players coming down to play from DC United and DC United is always going to be the priority. And so they could send players down at the end of a week, even though I had a good week of training, it doesn't really matter. The goalkeeper is always going to come down and play over me. So right. coming down to an independent club like Rio Grande Valley Toros, we are the only club here. There really is no club above us. There is a partnership with the Houston Dynamo, but they haven't sent any players down and we really haven't sent any players up. So it's really just, it's our group. And so I think it helps build chemistry and it allows for us to be a closer team. And even being here now, it's, it's just been a totally different experience than what it was with, with Loudon. Yeah. And well, well, so you kind of said like the, that, that sort of like acclimation of the fast pace always moving has been a big challenge. Has there ever, has there been a big challenge just in like playing professionally? Like maybe the biggest challenge that you've had now in your professional career, as opposed to your collegiate career? Yeah, I think the, the biggest obstacle I think I had to overcome for my professional career so far was actually just becoming a professional. I think <laughs> right. after college, I, I didn't, I didn't know for certain if I was going to have an opportunity to keep playing. There was really no guarantee. And, and I went to a couple of different combines and I I've had an agent throughout this whole process who's kind of helped market me and, and help me get opportunities, but it ultimately kind of does fall on the shoulders of me to be able to showcase myself and sell myself on the field as a player. Right. And, and unlike kind of my undergraduate experience, when I committed to Providence, I knew I was committing to at least four years and I knew where I was going to be fall to spring you know, you go your spring to your summer and your summer goes and everything kind of rolls together. Right. But after I finished up in, in college, I was, I was still like a graduate assistant. I was enrolled in the MBA program. And so I had a fallback option. I had my plan B, but my plan A was always to try and, and play. And so when, when I was able to get that opportunity with Loudon to, to start, uh, it was in, like, it was like February or so 2019. And then it was, for me, it was kind of like a dream come true. And I've been able to live out that dream. But, but every year is really turbulent. And it's super tough to, to even just try and find opportunities because there's not a whole lot of uh, attrition, especially as a goalkeeper. There's only, you know, so many of us retiring or leaving the league every year. And then right. even, there's a lot of guys that are trying to take your spot too. There's a ton of competition. So it, it's very tough, but it's also very rewarding. And I think competition, I think, brings out the best in everybody. So it, it doesn't exactly pay off. Competition is always healthy, right? Um, but what have you? What would you say has been the greatest reward? Now that you know you've got three years of, of a professional, three four years of professional career under your belt, what has been like the biggest, you know, the greatest reward from all of this so far? Yeah, I think I think even for me, I think there's been so much that's come out of my professional career so far, and I'm being in year four, so it is a lot of time. Even going through COVID and stuff, we had an abbreviated season, and, and for that period of time, I wasn't even sure if we were going to have a season or if I was going to have a contract, so there's been so much that has kind of gone into this, but I've just tried to stick by it, but I think one of the greatest rewards for me uh, has actually been, you know, meeting my current girlfriend, and her and I have been together for a little over two and a half years now, and she's been so supportive of me in this pursuit of a professional career, which like even for right now, we're doing a ton of long distance and it's been difficult for us off the field. But I think on the field as well, you know, I think for me, my biggest reward has just been the opportunity to, to live out this dream. I think mm -hmm. no matter if I'm, you know, playing games, you know, or if I'm, you know, our backup for the game or, or whatever, I just really enjoy the opportunity to play because I do, I do generally enjoy just going out on the field every day and being able to live my dream, you know, despite, you know, whatever salary I'm making or whatever kind of commitment that does go into it, I feel like I'm living out my dream, which is yeah. something that, like, some people may never, you know, get the opportunity to, to do. And so I don't know how long I'll be able to play for, and that's it. Like, every year is, is year to year. But I think those two things have been the two biggest rewards uh, for me so far with this career. Absolutely. I've always said the most successful athletes, you know, whether it's statistically or just, like, career-wise – 
always succeed because they realize it's such a blessing and, and a, a great opportunity to get to play the sport you grew up love, loving to do. You know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, yes, it is a business. And yes, it's all about like, you know, for the clubs, it's about the money and whatever. But for the players that realize like I, I get to wake up every day, put on my shin guards and get to play the sport I love. Like that's that's got to be like you have to do it for the love of the sport, not necessarily the love of the, the money or, or or in some cases, the you know, the lack of money because because that can happen, too. So I always say like the, the most successful athletes on and off the off the field or in the pool, whatever, is the ones that really have just realized it's for the love of the sport, for sure. Yeah, I, I would agree with that because I think yeah, a lot of times you don't really know, you know, what the future has in store. And I think yeah. we, we have our college degrees to fall back on. And and I actually I just enrolled in an MBA program uh, through Bellevue University. I started an MBA Providence, so I, that keeps me busy off the field as well. So always try and like scheme and and have plans because you know the tough thing about this profession is that it you know it could end tomorrow or it could right you know, end in years time. So always going to try and have plans for the yeah, the future. Exactly. So I want to change subjects here just for a brief second, because as of last night, big news in, in the soccer community, the U.S. has requalified for the World Cup on the men's side for the first time since 2018, after not qualifying uh, in 2018. As I want to get your thoughts on this. As more Americans are watching the sport of soccer because it's becoming more accessible now with big networks picking up, you know, the Premier League or the Champions League and so on and so forth. What do you think or what are your expectations for the U.S. and Qatar to make these fans, these newer fans, or even just you know, longtime fans, happy with our performance in the World Cup? Because I've always felt that it's like, because the U.S. loves sports, it's always like championship or bust. But I feel like it's a little bit different on the World Cup stage in soccer specifically. What, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I think I, I'm i really excited to see the club, or not the club, but see the country in, in the World Cup, you know, yeah. for, for later this year, because I was, there was a major disappointment in 2018 when the national team didn't make it, and I think for, for me, like, I've never had the opportunity to represent the, our, our national team, you know, on that level, so I can only imagine the pressure and, and how the expectations can sometimes be so overwhelming, you know, there's so much, like, work and preparation goes into whether it's making a World Cup or whatever it is for your club or your country right. to try and make it to that point. But I do agree with you. I think here in the U.S., I think we tend to believe that, you know, we're just better or we should be the best at everything that we do. And and I think from a soccer-specific standpoint on the men's side, you know, we've kind of been working up. We've been kind of climbing the ladder a bit. We've kind of been on an upward trajectory. We have a lot of young talent and a lot of players who are going to be great for this World Cup, the World Cup, and 2026 and, and even in 2030 it's going to be really fun I think to watch the club continue to grow and even how soccer grows in, in this country because I think the on the women's side the women have done a tremendous job with unbelievable job soccer in the country with the amount of success they've had and, and even all the advocacy they've been doing off the field as well but I think the men's side the expectation is certainly going to be high I think going in and I think we'll see on Friday what kind of group they're going to be in after they get the draw tomorrow and it'll kind of be cool just to anticipate, you know, once November comes around to see them in action. It, it is. I, the World Cup is always such a, a fun experience. It's so much different than the Olympics. It's so much different than, like, any, like, world sort of competition because you have, like, such two very different styles of fans for the U.S. You have the, I'm just here for the fun, like, country support at the, at, you know, you, you know, this, when it was in the summer, now that it's in Qatar, I, I'm glad it's in November, so it'll be a little bit cooler. But, you know, like the 4th of July, if we're playing on the 4th of July in the World Cup, there's really nothing better. But then you have like this, the more like traditional have been with, the, you know, been, been supporting the U.S. national team for years and years and years. And they're a little bit more like expectation setting and like kind of know where we're going to, what's going to happen here. Like a game against Spain is a lot harder than a game against Jamaica or what have you, you know what I mean? And so like, it's just, it's just a fun experience because there's two very different styles of fans on these, on these, on these types of games for sure. Yeah, you have kind of your supporters and your customers almost where you have to try and appeal. And it's cool to see because everybody kind of comes together and like you yeah. watch the game and it doesn't matter kind of what your background is, what your expertise is, but I think just coming together to see the game and, it kind of just gives people, gives people reason to, to just gather. And I think that's the cool thing about sports. No matter kind of what else is going on, you have that one reason to kind of come together and, and spend some time. Absolutely. Now, I have a couple other questions here that I found interesting. So on the Friars website, 
you have listed that your two favorite athletes are Tim Howard and Manny Machado. I have two questions and I'll start with Tim Howard first. As a goalie yourself, what about his game do you love the most? And do you try to kind of model your style of playing off of anything that he had done during his career? Yeah, I actually kind of forgot that I had given those responses. I mean, oh, I'm getting to Manny in a second because I have questions. <laughs> yeah, and I'm trying to think when I when I put those guys down, I think it it must have been sometime in I think the fall of 2014 or so. When yeah, I was I'm like, sure it was your freshman oh, year, and they never changed it or never asked yeah, you to change it. Just, just, I just stuck it in there. So <laughs> I think when I think growing up, like Tim Howard was always the U.S. Men's National Team goalkeeper growing right. up. And, and he had a great career uh, over in Europe and here in the U.S. And and he's just been someone, I think, as a fellow goalkeeper that I've looked up to. And now he's an analyst and he does a lot of, I guess, like his sports, really like soccer-specific, I think, analysis. And he's also involved with uh, Memphis 901, which is a club in the USL Championship. And so he, he's, he's kind of here, I think, trying to grow the game as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think at the time, though, I think in 2014, I think I put him down just because he was someone, again, that I had had looked up to as a goalkeeper. I think he he also battles Tourette's. I think so when the game, he was someone that, you know, could constantly kind of be distracted or not, you know, always kind of be like present in the moment. So he was always like trying to overcome a little bit of adversity. So I think that was something that always appealed to me that he was able to kind of overcome some adversity as well to live out his dream. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, that adversity or there was life adversity, whatever it was, I always really valued that about him. Absolutely. Now I got to ask, Manny, you know, is he still one of your favorite athletes now that he's gone after leaving Baltimore for greener pastures out in San Diego? Yeah, I think greener pastures is, is a good way to put it because he definitely <laughs> got paid a lot more money. <laughs> yeah, green is in cash, maybe not necessarily green as in grass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, green, yeah, green cash, I think definitely, it always, it always, talk, money always talks, you know, and I yeah. think it was, it was also, I was actually in the, in the stadium in Camden Yards for his first game as an Oriole and he got his first MLB hit and stuff which was really cool to see but yeah he was I think someone too that I think at the time I I always loved watching the Ravens and the Orioles and I think he was I thought going to be kind of the face of the franchise for you know 10 years time and and now he's since moved on but yeah I think between him just kind of being a hometown hero and and me kind of maybe having that that experience uh, at Camden Yards that night I think and I've always been a baseball fan, so I think soccer and baseball, those two sports for me, and, and football probably three. I've like loved to focus on, but the, yeah, those uh, those are probably some of the reasons why I threw him down there. I love it, man. Being a boss, uh, Baltimore sports fan's got to be a little tough, I'm sure, especially nowadays, right now with you know with the Orioles, it's got to be tough. But I love that you stick through it, man. <laughs> I love yeah, that you stick always through. Yeah, stick by because yeah, one day they'll turn it around with its system, whatever it is, and they, if they spend a little bit more money. I think it'll it'll hopefully uh, turn yeah turn around a bit. I love it. All right. Well, we've gotten to the portion of the show now where you get to flip the tables here and get to ask me any questions. It could be anything at all, anything you want to know about me, any questions that you've gotten a lot about. But I'm happy to turn up turn the mic over to you to ask me anything here. Yeah, actually, I uh, I actually I wrote my question down just to make sure it was it was proper because. I didn't want to kind of let this moment, I think, pass me by. <laughs> oh boy, I'm now nervous. <laughs> it, well, no, I and I think I, I really appreciate like, even all the kind of in-depth kind of research you've done for some of these questions that, that you kind of posed today. So I wanted to try and like put a decent one together. But um, I know recently you were down in Disney, uh, a part of the Team Migu organization yep. down there. I saw for an event. Yeah. Um, I know even in college, we did a little bit as well with the organization. And I think, I was just really curious kind of some of the work that you're doing with them now and and even specifically maybe down in Florida when you were there or even some of the stuff that, that's going on with your organization, if you could kind of yeah, just plug them for a second. To, to oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. So as as um, I've brought up on the show back on, man, he was like episode three or four. Um, Eric Reese is the, the father of Jesse Reese, who founded the Jesse Reese Foundation. Uh, she was diagnosed with DIPG when she was just about 12 years old. And during her battle with cancer, uh, she was able to, um, she was able to go home during her clinical trial, during her treatment and her radiation and her, her, um, and all that. So, um, one day she said, you know, how can we help the kids that don't get to go home during treatment? And, you know, during this whole time, the Reese family is, is battling so much and, the fact that Jesse was thinking of the other kids that are, are going through very similar things that she is, 
that she wanted to focus her her time and effort on them was incredible. So uh, long story short, she was able to create what are now today called joy jars, where they are jars filled with things that kids love, like toys, puzzles, games, and and even for kids that are battling cancer in the hospital rooms, you know, beanies and socks to keep them warm and all that stuff. So um, she was able to stuff over 3,000 jars. Uh, she did, unfortunately, lose her battle and gain her wings uh, in January of 2012, but her legacy lives on. We've, we've delivered joy jars to all 50 states and over 35 countries now. Um, and I was in Disney down in Southern California for their annual charity gala, um, where we raised over $300,000 for the foundation. So I was super excited for that and just to be back um, at, a, at an event like that, since you know we we haven't been able to host one since 2019 because of COVID, um, I remember being out there in 2020, and it was uh, it was the day pretty much the world shut down um, that we were supposed to have the 2020 gala with over 800 people coming to the Disneyland Hotel. Um, we obviously couldn't. Um, I remember like waking up two days before, and that's when like the the mayor of Los Angeles, it was like the big breaking news that the mayor of Los Angeles canceled the Dodgers game because it was too many people were going to be gathering. And I remember that was like, oh, I don't think this is going to, like, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't think anything's happening. And we got on a flight back to Boston as soon as we could, because that was even hard to do. Um, but getting the chance to work with the Jesse Reese Foundation during my time at Providence, I'm so thankful that they were able to do all that they did for me and the foundation during our time there. And then just being able to keep that passion going for this organization that I've, you know, I've been such a, I've been fortunate to be a part of since like my junior year of high school. Um, it's just been a blast. And I'm just, I, I, I love that family. I love the, what the, I love the cause. And I, I, I don't see myself ever not, you know, hoping to work with those guys. So, cause it's just an absolute blast, but I appreciate you asking. And, and I'm always happy to talk about those, those guys. The impact that you you and the whole organization have had, I think, you know, stretches like leaps and bounds for the families that are involved. Because like I can only imagine, you know, what they're going through, like seeing their loved one kind of go through that pain and and everything. And I think just something as simple as a joy jar or anything, I think, could really, you know, just make make a day, make a week, and and really kind of change the trajectory of maybe treatment for for somebody. Absolutely, and and it's it's we've actually. It's so cool at the at the gala, we found out, you know, we had a, a doctor at the Children's Hospital of Orange County. She, they've done research on, you know, kind of that, I don't want to say it's like the dopamine effect, but just when there's, when you have a, like a support system or people backing you when you're going through something like that, the likelihood that you're actually able to get over that adversity or in this case, obviously, you know, cancer is, is, is a greater chance. So, you know, as much as we're not really focused, and I say we as in the Jesse Reese Foundation, but as much as we're not focused on the cure, because at the end of the day, there are hundreds of thousands of people trying to find a cure for cancer. We, what we are trying to do is cure a bad day and, and you know, make someone smile. And, and in turn, it is actually working. These kids are, you know, are finding the cures they need. And, you know, it, I'm not saying the joy jar is the cure, but it's helping them kind of fight that battle that they're fighting and, and, and getting better. So, it's working and it's awesome. And um, yeah, man, it's awesome. I there's no other word to say. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's really been cool to follow. And I, I know that as the impact is felt, you know, far beyond, you know, say any kind of like treatment center or hospital room and, and it'll really continue, I think, showing and in the effort, I think is always, is always really, really well, well done. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you asking about that, man. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> All right, we have one last question for you here. It's a question that we ask all of our guests, so I'm excited to hear your answer here. So, Colin, you have plenty more to do. I mean, you've, you're, you know, you're a young 25 here, so there's plenty more to go, and there's plenty more to give to society. But if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Yeah, I, uh, I saw yeah, this question had been posed before. <laughs> um, and and I, I really – I was trying to think, like, what – yeah, what like an adequate title would be to try and you know, like represent, I think like me as a person. Um, but uh, I would say uh, one thing. What 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 I would say is that the title would be kind of Miller time. You know, trying <laughs> it would just gotta be Miller time. Maybe like living, living now, like for you know for the moment, or like, like living in the present. You know, but also like something about the past and the future. But I think I would just kind of title it Miller time. I love that. Uh, which would kind of like encompass like everything that like kind of I've done, you know, to this point, you know, even being only 25, but 
you know, hopefully, you know, another a number of years left left to live. I love that. I, I, I'll never, that's an all time coach white nickname. I, I don't know if he came up with it, but it was an all time like weight room shout, uh, you know, if, if, if ever you were doing a big set or something. I, I mean, cause we, there's always times where you and like our teams would be together in the weight room. And I just, that's, that's one of the, I mean, you, you had chops, you had, uh, you had a bunch of other ones, but I mean like Miller time, that was always a funny one. <laughs> it, it was cool. And that's kind of stuck with me. I think yeah. from, you know, from my college days, I think it kind of, he would always refer to it as like Millerville too. It was just kind of like a population of one. You know, he just thought <laughs> I was like my own person. And and I, I was always looking for him on the sideline for the men's NCAA tournament run. And he was always right there. Oh and, my gosh. The, he, yeah, he, it's he, just been really cool. Yeah, he's he's a star on the TV, man. When we when you see him out on the NCAA men's basketball tournament, they gotta get him like a feature or something. That would be so funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I think yeah, that that could be a title. I think of the autobiography. I think that would be that'd be it if if yeah. I uh, if I'd had to put pen to paper. I love it, Colin. Well, thank you so much, man, for coming on. I'm so glad we got the chance to do this. Uh, it's always great to connect with a fellow friar, but especially you, man. It's always been a blast to to uh, just just to know you and to you know be 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 your friend. And I really appreciate you all all that you've done. And I can't wait to see see you succeed and everything else, man. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity today. And, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing you in person sometime. I know it's been a long time, but this is at least a, a great start. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to have to get together soon. And if you've got a game up here in New England, you got to let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll have to check the schedule. I saw you, I saw you played Orange County like recently, but they were out with you guys, right? Right. Yeah, we, we traveled out to Orange County. Uh, I think it was we were out there for a whole like L.A. trip. We played Orange yeah. County. We played uh, uh, L.A. Galaxy, too. And we'll head back out to California late in the season. So maybe we'll catch you on an overlap. All right, maybe I'll have to. Yeah, I'll plan out another trip to SoCal and I'll have to come catch the game out there in Irvine. <laughs> yeah, that, that, would, that would be awesome. Awesome, man. Well, we'll, we'll talk soon. All right. That sounds like a plan. So a big thank you to Colin Miller for coming on this week's show and sharing more about his story. Always great to reflect on our time at Providence College. And when I tell you this guy is is a real deal and he's a he's just a, like always has his true colors and is just always super nice. And I've always enjoyed my time with Colin. So big shout out to Colin. I'll leave all things uh, Colin Miller in the description of this week's podcast. Be sure to go check him out on social media. You can go follow the Rio Grande Valley Toros and their schedule. Um, I'll post their uh, Instagram in the podcast as well. That does it for this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I can't say this enough. You, the, you guys make this podcast possible. Uh, I'm so thankful for all the listeners and all the reach that we've had too. It's kind of insane to think how many countries we've been streamed in, how many times we've been streamed. So just thank you guys so much. Uh, it, it's been an absolute blast here for this. Oh, we're almost coming up on two years, so hard to believe we're approaching year three. So Big thank you to you guys. Be sure to go follow us on Instagram at NormalGuyLazyEye and on TikTok, same thing. Go check out our merch. I'll leave, again, all things in the description of this week's podcast. But that does it for all the shameless plugs. I'll see you all next Wednesday.